Welcome to another episode of the Purple and Bold podcast from the Daily News Record covering James Madison sports. I'm Shane Metlin here with Noah Fleischman, the beat writers, Jamie beat writers at the Daily News Record. Uh, sad couple days here at JMU um, around Harrisonburg community. Um, at this point, you probably have heard about the death of softball athlete, sophomore catcher Lauren Burnett for JMU, key player in Duke's run to the Women's College World Series last spring. Uh, just incredibly sad event. Um, just wanted to say before we get started with you know some football talk and everything, that's something that everybody's you know spending a lot of time talking about. It's been on everybody's mind around here recently. Uh, Lauren was you know, just you know incredible personality. Uh, much beloved figure on that team around campus. Uh, you can see that with the outpouring of support from you know, people she's played against, played with. Uh, everyone who seemed to know her had wonderful things to say about her. My experiences with her and interviews and everything were fantastic and just a shocking, terrible thing that happened at JMU on you know earlier this week. And as we record this on Wednesday, the community still still grieving, still dealing with a lot of that and um just a reminder to anybody that you know no matter what's going on in your life no matter what's happening you know seek help there's always people who care there's always you know help out there so yeah take care of yourself please now as we you know we'll move on to a little bit happier things you know it was it was a big week in jmu sports um a lot of things, and we got our first, you know, real look at the Duke's football team. Real look for spring at some of the guys who are going to be around big parts of the program moving forward. And then, you know, obviously the post spring news includes transfer portal things, stuff like that. So, you know, we'll get get right into it here with Noah, you know, the number one football beat writer here, and you know, was paying close attention to things throughout the spring. But anything jump out at you? just directly from the spring game that um, either was surprising or not necessarily what you were expecting or even like in more of what you were expecting from somebody or anyone in particular, position groups, things like that, just from what you saw in the spring game, getting to see them for an extended period for the first time. Yeah, I think Tunson Taylor really turned it on. Um, first quarter, they only played two quarters in this game. First quarter, he was kind of slow moving. He had a, a few passes, but nothing crazy. And then second time, second quarter, he really turned it on. He had a six for six drive, marching them down the field, ending a touchdown. He had a few other drives, putting stuff together, getting him in field goal range. So, I mean, he really stood out the most in the quarterback room, really. Passing for over 200 yards, touchdown, best pl- best drive of the day on that six for six drive. So, that was probably the top thing that stuck out like right away. It's like, all right, this is this is what Jamie thought they were getting with Thompson Tail. It took him a little bit, but, you know, he got going. It's also hard when you're switching between the ones and twos in the game. It's kind of like you don't get the same guys every time, but... He got it going, and he made things happen. Yeah, was talk about it still being a real battle, still you know being completely undecided about the quarterback situation? Was that overblown or exaggerated a little bit to keep you know the mystery and the guys competing? Everything was that, or was that you know actually the case throughout the spring, and he just kind of performed the best during the spring game? No, I think that's actually the case. I think there's three quarterbacks, all really talented guys, Todd Tinteo, Billy Atkins, and Alonzo Barnett. Um, Barnett, obviously a freshman, probably 
not going to win the job. He's in the battle, though. He's showing at times that he's got flashes he can do it. All three of them have shown flashes at times they can do it. All three of them have struggled at times as well during the spring. But overall, I think Santeo really set himself apart. Maybe it's just because it's a game situation. Some guys just play better in a game-like situation than others and at, at practice or something like that. But overall, Billy Atkins, first play of the game, goes deep, touchdown. It's like, all right, here we go. I mean, he still threw for 130 yards. Just that second quarter, he didn't complete a pass. Granted, he had a lot of handoffs and things like that, but... You know, overall, Tots and Tails stuck out. If you were, like, were to rank all three right now, it would be Tots and Tails, Billy Atkins, Alonzo Burnett. Yeah. Right now. And it, the interesting thing to me with Burnett is, statistically, he was not good no, on Saturday. Like and, 20, yeah, he, he was not good statistically. But to me, the thing that kind of stood out was, like, oh, this freshman's got an arm. He, you know, he had some drops and, um, like, that, that hurt him. And, like, even one, there was a pass, you know, down the sideline, and it was just like, okay, he – he put that ball in there, and that was a deep pass, and that was an impressive throw. It wasn't a completion and everything, but like if he's doing this already, the future looks pretty bright for him. You know, take away you know his statistics and everything else. Like you know, there there was a little bit of struggle, but there was also like wow, a flash of like okay, yeah. this is why everybody's saying this is a talented guy, and this is why he's here already in the mix for the, for the job. You know, as a true freshman, when he really shouldn't be in the mix for the job right now yeah i mean he didn't have a lot of help at times i mean he got sacked like five times in the game it's i mean you're not giving him time to throw at that point the offensive line he's working with the second a mix of second and third stringers just because the offensive line right now is just just destroyed by you know surgeries offseason they'll be back by the fall but it's just not a not the first team offensive line so then it makes the the trickle down effect and that the offensive line he's working with much of the day not the best and not what jamie's gonna put on the field but i mean as you said he had that one throw down the sideline that Almost was a catch, but dropped. Yeah, I mean, he, he almost he, like I forget who it was, but he mossed the corner and then just dropped it on the way down. Yeah, and um, you know you, you talk about you know the offensive line, the sacks, and everything. You keep in mind there was there was a ton of sacks in that spring game. Also, got to keep in mind that you know get a hand on the quarterback to recording it as a sack, and you know He's I think tap. yeah, and I think you know like um, you know with all three quarterbacks, but um, Santeo in particular. Those are not all going to be sacks in those games because those guys can get out of I think like, can those situations it, a little it. bit. And you know, yeah, and you know you you you've got to wrap those guys up to, for real to uh, bring them out of the sack. So I think the number of sacks that were recorded, the defense, a lot of guys were getting you know praised for having you know multiple sacks <laughs> and everything. You got to keep in mind that a lot of those aren't probably sacks in games. And also keep in mind that um, when we're looking at the quarterbacks, you know. I think especially Santeo with you know decent size, speed is a guy who likes to run. Um, you know, maybe sometimes those like getting chased out of pockets not the in, the worst thing in the world for you know a no. guy like that, um, which doesn't show up necessarily if you're just looking at like how the spring game went. Um, but you know, like like you said, we didn't see a lot of what's probably going to be the offensive line going forward um there were some guys that got you know got some praise from our teammates you know tanner morris you know back playing center like he did late in the season um some guys you know thought he had a really good spring but you know what, what what's missing from the offensive line and was was that much of a concern after this i mean you're without nick kidwell and tyshawn wyatt for most of the spring um that's kind of the biggest point. You got two of your top offensive linemen out, and I mean, not what you want. But they also brought in Andrew Adair, who's going to have to show up this summer and in, in fall camp. And 
He's a guy from Liberty who I think competes for the starting center job. I mean, he's like 6'3", 320 pounds. He's a big dude, but I think he can also move people out of the way. And I think that JMU's going to want him to be in that line somewhere. And I think the center position is probably the, the easiest place to stick him. And then you, you just slide some people around. Um, but I think he comes in day one and competes for a starting job in that line. Yeah, because Tanner Morris obviously can play other spots. Mm-hmm. He's done it before. Um, so, you, yeah, you, you possibly boost more than one position by bringing in a guy like that if he's ready to compete for a starting job right away, which it seems seems like he should be and would be after you know being at Liberty, um, fairly, fairly highly recruited guy, um, yeah. and obviously is um, you know pretty excited to be at JMU as quickly as you know his visit turned into a commitment there in that situation. I mean, he was committed before, so he came to visit to enter the portal one day, offered that night. Shows up the next Thursday afternoon, Jamie practice. Had committed before coming out to practice. His recruitment was like 48 hours. Wow. I mean, he also said he picked up where he left off. JMU, same staff that recruited him out of high school. So he was like, mm-hmm. there's a lot of the same connections still there. And that's why it was just such an easy, like, boom, he's ready to go. His sister also goes to JMU. So he already has that connection to the university. And overall, I think he's, he's a really good addition. And we've seen JMU kind of. Get a couple guys during spring camp in the transfer portal, but I think portal's heating up. Four guys in the portal now from JMU, which we can touch on a little bit, but I think we'll see a few more additions coming in from the portal as well as we're seeing some guys head out. Is is Adair, is that just a tangible example of what has been talked about so much when it comes to JMU and moving up to FBS that, like, okay, we're going to be have different guys mm-hmm. that, you know, maybe talked to us during the recruiting process before, but eventually chose to go elsewhere because yeah. they felt they were FBS level guys. Is this a like perfect example of a guy who like, you know, if JMU had been FBS when he was in high school, like he probably would have been a JMU to begin with. Yeah. I mean, he talked about, he liked JMU coming out of high school, just, you know, Liberty FBS. He, he had the opportunity to go play nine games last season and block from Malik Willis. I mean, I wouldn't say no to doing that, but I think overall that he already had that relationship. And now that, JMU's on that basically the same level as Liberty, being in the Sun Belt. Liberty's going to Conference USA, both FBS. I mean, at this point, I think that's the biggest thing. He also wanted to come closer home, being from Northern Virginia, so now he's cut his commute in half. And, I mean, I think I think he's ready to go, and I think this is a perfect example. I mean, we could see it down the line with other Virginia guys coming in. They either transfer him from other schools, or you see him beating out Virginia Tech or somebody like that for a high school recruit, which probably we could start seeing in the next couple of years. Yeah, and... We, we've talked about this before at at JMU. Uh, it's, it's also ranks true with Bridgewater College is the amount of talent both of those programs are able to pull out of that, you know, Fredericksburg, Stafford, you know, getting up into, you know, Manassas, Woodbridge, not quite into like, you know, the real D.C. urban sprawl, but like out there, that area, they've both of those programs have done really well drawing talent from there. It seems like people like to come to this part of Virginia to go to college from there. It's, you know, you get out of the city and the suburbs and, you know, all yeah. sprawl a little bit, but you're still pretty close to home. It's an easy, it's a pretty easy drive to get there from here. For some reason, it seems like that is a really prime, you know, recruiting area. If you, if you narrow it down to like a small, like, obviously, you know, everybody's got their recruiting territories and like, oh, we're going to cover, we're going to recruit Virginia. We're going to recruit the yeah. Northern Virginia, DC area. But it's like that, microcosm of that part of the metro area up there like seems to really like coming down to the valley it's it's interesting to kind of see that happening 
you know, different levels. Like, whether it was, if it's a D3 talent, they like to come here, down here. If it's a D1 talent, they like to come down here. It, it's, it's really interesting to see how many kids from that area, those high schools, end up playing here in Harrisonburg, Rockingham County area. I yeah, well, I wouldn't even limit it to the, the athletes themselves. I'd limit it to, I mean, like, people go to, come from Northern Virginia to go to school at JMU. Like, JMU has a ton of people that come out of there every year coming mm-hmm. here rather than other schools i mean you may go to a high school where jamie has 25 kids going there and then you look at a school like vcu or odu and they, they only have like five or ten and so i mean i think that's just another reason i mean athletically yeah it works but also i think the school has something to do with it and i guess the whole area everything coming together but i mean it's working for jamie right now see how it keeps going yeah and so that's a transfer portal uh, you know, a post-spring transfer portal coming in. You yeah. mentioned there there are a few JMU players who are in the portal on their way out, which is not not a surprise. This is you know what to expect from spring football these days. But uh, fills in on you know up to date here a little after one o'clock on a Wednesday. There may be more. There will be more coming by the time you know this is even up online. There may be more. But wh- where is JMU as far as the portal goes right now? Yeah, so like this is going to be a really busy week for the portal. You have until May 1st for a fall or winter athlete to enter the portal and be eligible to play next season for the one-time transfer. If you enter after that point, you got to sit. So Jamie's got four guys that have entered the portal today. Austin Douglas running back, probably the biggest surprise, but not surprise at the same time. Like The running back room is pretty pretty heavy. You also have Lance Blankenship, a defensive end, defensive tackle Matai Fitz, and redshirt freshman safety Messiah Russell. So they've all entered so far. So four guys in. The biggest one is Austin Douglas, a guy who's played meaningful snaps at JMU, but when you look at that running back room, it's it's, it's loaded. Yeah, I mean, I don't think anybody was going to be surprised if there was a running back in the portal from JMU. It was just maybe a question of who, who it might be, but yeah, I mean, it just really isn't going to be carries for everybody, and when yeah. you look at when you look at how JMU's used people, like, you know, Solomon Von Horse. Maybe there's not a ton of carries for him in the offense, but he's going to be a big special teams guy. He's going to get. He also you know, made turn into a slot receiver. Yeah, there's, you know, kickoff returns. And yeah, and they've loved to throw to him out of the backfield. Like I said, he might be, a, you know, could play receiver. Um, so you, you kind of see how he fits. I think Latrell Palmer probably has got to think that he has a chance to compete for carries. Yeah. You know, after rushing for almost 1,000 yards <laughs> last year, um, you know, even if, even if he's third string. You know, on the depth chart, that's a guy they're probably going to try to figure out ways to make it work with him. Um, so, you know, when you stop and think about it a little bit, maybe, you know, seeing Austin Douglas make this decision is not surprising at all. Although, as a guy who seems very happy at JMU for his entire time here, and, uh, you know, you just, you just kind of had to figure there was going to be somebody out of that running back room because basically all of those guys could go somewhere and play yep. and find a place where they could be a featured back. Almost everybody, you know, whether at the FCS level, FBS level, somewhere there's got to be a place for these guys. Yeah, I mean, they brought in A.J. Davis, transfer from Pitt running back. who We saw him play in the spring game. He busted the biggest run of the day at 22 yards. I mean, that might be the guy that came in that kind of maybe took his, his carries, or the opportunity for carries. I mean, he's a one-year grad transfer, and you're not going to bring a guy in and not use him. And so I think that that's probably the the point that Austin Douglas looked at the chart. I mean, Signetti's having meetings all week with the team, kind of going over the post spring, and it's just the point to where they sit down and be like, look at the depth chart, and they're like, you know, there just might not be a spot for you, or that might be the conversation that he may be having, and that's why we're seeing guys now enter the portal left, left and right today, four guys, and probably 
by the end of the week, that number would probably be bigger. Yeah, and that is something, you know, that doesn't probably get talked about enough throughout all sports is, you know, there's so much talk about how many players are in the portal, regardless of sport you're talking about. Probably doesn't get in, you know, what are they thinking? You know, sometimes what they're thinking is, coach told me I need to go. <laughs> like, sometimes <laughs> like, they don't have an you option. Know, yeah, and I mean, sometimes the option is stick around and never see the field. And walk on. Yeah, or or move on. Yeah, and, you know, it, it, it's... You know, it's a basketball thing. It's a football thing. I'm sure it's... I'm sure it's every all, sport. Has. Every sport, yeah. And it's, you know... The definition of being run off can vary a lot depending on if you're, you know, a coach, a player, a parent, uh, anything. Like, yeah. you know, the coach... Two, two people can leave the same conversation with very different interpretations of what that conversation was. Whether it was like, did I just get run off or did... You know, we just have an honest conversation, you know, in quote marks, like, you know, about where you fit in. And um, I think that happens repeatedly you know, at JMU and everywhere else is, yeah, the, somebody might leave the conversation thinking that I just got told I need to go. Well, the other, you know, other person thinks, you know, they were telling them that if you stay, it's going to be tough for you. But, you know, it's, you know, I don't think... I don't think coaches very often explicitly tell somebody they're gone, but they can make it clear that this is not the place for you. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I mean, think that happens that happens over and over again. And then people, fans, just see names in the portal and will be, well, what is this kid thinking? Where is he thinking it's yeah. a better place than this? And there, a lot of times it's not not entirely up to them. Yeah, I mean, the portal is not, an, not a fun place for these guys to be in. I mean, when I talked to Andrew Adair and he talked about before he entered his name, he's heard stories of guys getting kind of stuck in the portal. You, you enter and you don't have a home. And he was like, thought it was ironic because he had a JMU in within 48 hours. But I mean, NCAA released this week's stats on the portal from the last two years, and about 50% of football transfers being FBS and FCS find a new home. So 50% find a home after that. But if you look at the numbers, a lot of them that enter the portal are walk-ons. So it's kind of interesting because... They don't count against your numbers, so like you could bring them in if you want. So it's kind of weird how that goes, but it's about I think it was about like around fifty percent that that end up transferring somewhere else. That was FBS and FCS combined. Yeah, and I think you know it's an interesting thing about the portal is what a lot of people don't understand is not everybody putting their name in there is thinking like I'm moving on to a bigger, better program. Some of them like maybe don't really have much of intention of playing sports again but like you know say you're graduating you want to go to grad school and if you even want to have a conversation with the coaching staff at the new school then you have to be in the portal otherwise they can't talk to you um you know similar you know if you're a walk-on and you know you decide you know jmu is a little big for me like i want to find a smaller campus and like you know end up at yeah yeah or, or yeah or you know whatever or you know Maybe I'd fit in better in HBCU, and it has nothing to do with mm-hmm. sports. You know, you're not even sure if you're going to play again. But if you want to talk to that coach, or if that coach wants to talk to you, they'll say, "Put your name in the portal so we can talk." Um, you know, and you do, maybe haven't even decided if you're going to play sports anymore. Um, you know, or you know, if you just are going for a graduate program, and if there's a place for me to play, that's great. You know, um, mm-hmm. all that, all those people are in the portal, and it's not necessarily like bailing on a program. You know. It's it, it's the portal numbers can be a little deceiving, like just the raw number of people yeah. 
I mean, there. when you look at it, there's a ton yeah. of people in right now, but yeah, and it's like you know, there's 1,500 basketball players in the transfer portal right now. How many of them are actively looking for a place to play Division One basketball? I I don't know. It's not it's not 1,500 though. It's a significant percentage that are not. So it, it's a little deceiving to just see those raw numbers. Um, but you know, getting back to JMU football and you know. That's, there's four in the portal right now as far as you know, players we know are, are looking to leave JMU. Do you have any sense of what the, what maybe the final tally might be? Like, is it going to be you know, a lot of guys? And then how quickly do you think we start seeing their replacements coming in to the portal after you know, other teams see sure. transfers? I'm not sure how many a lot will be. I, I definitely think this number grows from four. I definitely think by the end of the week there's a handful more in at least. I mean, we could be pushing 10. I mean, I think the average in the NCAA is 10 there in the portal, like when you average the numbers. So, I mean, would not be surprised to see 10 guys at the portal. Most of them are not going to be your your guys are producing on the field. Most of these guys, people are like, oh, I've never even seen that guy on the field. There's a reason why he's in the portal. But at the same time, I think we think we, do we see JMU active in the portal this week. I don't know if we see anyone commit this week. I mean, for Kurt Cignetti, his job is a lot easier starting next Monday because no new names will be showing up in the portal for, for three months. So, I mean, I think the summertime is definitely going to be big. I think there's a, there's going to be this window that you want guys to commit to you so they can get here for workouts and camp. So I think in the next two or three weeks we'll see a lot of commitments if they attack the portal. I um, definitely think that we are going to see portal wide receiver, one or two coming in. He talked about that a couple weeks ago after practice, talking about how he wants to get a receiver most likely just because of how the receiver room is just panning out right now, and I think at this point they're probably going to add one or two more. Yeah. Yeah, it is interesting because, you know, there's a lot of talk about this May 1st deadline for football and basketball mm-hmm. and, you know, lots of sports when it comes to the portal. Um, but that that really just means, like, you're not going to see any new names in. The recruiting part the of recruiting it part is, stays. Yeah. But um, at least it, the, the, the thing is that it helps Signetti is, he doesn't have to refresh the page every five minutes like he's talked about. Yeah, the and they, but then they're yeah they're going to know who's in there, um, and I mean, that's at least in theory, because it's not like you can't transfer after May first. You're just not no longer eligible for that immediate eligibility unless you apply for a waiver. Yeah, and then the people yeah there's you know speculation that there'll be a lot of waivers given. So, you know. Maybe we don't know for sure. <laughs> like I mean, everything, we could but see like, a ton of people. It, it, it'll at least slow down on yeah. May first, I would think, and you'll have some idea. And you know, maybe, maybe the coaches like institute their own kind of deadline because, you know, JMU, I would think, with making this move to FBS and Sun Belt, they're looking for guys who can play right away. Um, anything you can do to kind of boost that talent and get more FBS experience on the field right away has uh, got to be pretty intriguing for JMU at this point. Um, but it, it is interesting that, you know, there is this deadline, but is it really a deadline? And, you know, what what happens from there? Uh, the whole the whole transfer portal thing is just, like, really insane to, uh, to follow. And, you know, being the main basketball beat writer, too, like, it's a completely different situation. Like, JMU finished up with their basketball recruiting so early last year. That like, it, it's completely it's insane like situation right now like just still be doing this like it's almost May like, and be checking it like constantly see what new names are in there and you know who's committed where and um, 
you know, trying to kind of follow what's happening in the Sun Belt too, like alone, let alone JMU, like you guys kind of got to have some idea where these other teams are. As we begin to think about what JMU is going to look like in the Sun Belt in various sports, you know, can't really pick where they're going to finish unless you know who's who's coming and going from the teams they're competing against. It's 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 really really wild time to try to keep up with everything. Yeah, I'm sure Mike Byington would be um, a lot more happy if it was like last year and he already had his roster filled out by now. But yeah. I mean, I think we'll see the portal kind of slow down as you saw it say, and I think that by June we'll definitely have a good understanding of what Jamie's football roster looks like because at that point workouts kicking back off again and you want those guys to be here as soon as you can get them you know around the team and, and getting in the shape before fall camp kicks off early august yeah and but at the same time i'm sure there are guys that are good enough that they would be willing to take at basically any point in the oh, summer yeah. um because things happen you, you do see that sometimes that like you know guys um will decide that school's not for them during summer or maybe they have some issue with class or something you know something's going on and they decide to transfer later or whatever it is um or not make their decision for a while if they're already in the portal it it's just yeah an interesting aspect too of things is the sports illustrated has a report earlier today about you know the ncaa transformation committee and the possible big changes to a lot of things on how things are done as far as scholarship limits um Several things that would probably benefit the uh, Power Five conferences more than the Group of Five, um, <clears throat> but you kind of got to wonder how much like all these rules, how long they're going to be in place. And then one of the things they're also talking about is almost making it like a free agent period where the transfer portal is open for you know a couple months here or there, and it's not quite a constant thing because you did see a lot of in season stuff happening this school year probably more than i'd seen in a long long time uh you know players leaving or you know i guess it's probably the last two school years and covid has a lot to do with that too but you know even at jmu where there are football players who late in the regular season are just gone all of a sudden and um into the portal and you know probably probably you know pushed in there because from what i've understood like jamie was having those meetings even late in the season before the playoffs, like that, you know, this is where things look for you next year. And some of the guys who were key contributors were gone at that point. I and mean, that's why you see, like, you know, Tanner Moore's moving to the center role late in the season, uh, situations like that. So it's it's interesting to see, like, that it's been a year-round thing, even midweek of, a, you know, game week, you know, is happening. Um, so... That aspect of it, all the th- all the things that people are kind of concerned would really benefit the Power Five more yeah. than the Group of Five. I feel like that you know having that period where this is the transfer period, sort of like this is the free agent period in the NBA, NBA or the NH- NFL, like that might be something that does actually help the Group of Five as much as the Power Five. Yeah, it could. It also kind of levels the playing field a little bit. At least add some restriction of when you can talk to them and then you recruit and transfer but because right now it seems like to be a head coach in college football you're probably you're recruiting 365 days out of the year whether it's transfer portal high school kids back to transfer portal back to high school kids so these guys i definitely know that even though the portal's gonna slow down you gotta hammer the high school kids over the summertime and bring them in for camps and then recruit them there and hopefully they commit to you and 
So, yeah, it's a never-ending recruiting cycle for these coaches, even though they're in season half the time they're still recruiting. So, I mean, we'll see what happens. But Yeah. <clears throat> and you, you, we transitioned into a lot of transfer talk because of this, but we were we were discussing the spring game um, where, you know, it, it shows us some of the stuff about some of these transfers, you know, like an Austin Douglas ends up in the transfer portal after clearly not being one of the top three or, three or four backs coming out of the spring game as far as, you know, carries and things like that. Anything else that you saw from the spring game that you think is going to be an indicator of where things go, whether it's depth chart, whether it's, you know, here's another guy who you got to wonder what they're thinking as far as, you know, playing time and everything. Wouldn't that you would just, it's like, oh, well, this guy's get more playing time than I thought, or this guy's maybe, like, not taking as many snaps as I thought. Yeah, I think Tars Jones is really probably in line for a big step up in playing time this year. I think he's got a shot to start next to Diamante Tucker Dorsey. I mean, they both had great things to say about each other after the game, and I think that I mean, he had eight tackles, a sack in that game. So, Torres Jones probably the, the linebacker that I think on the defensive side we talk about Tots and Tails stepping up in the offensive. I think Torres Jones probably stepped up the most in that spring game and boosted his stock a little bit more. I mean, they know what they're going to get out of him, but now having him out there healthy in the field, playing a lot of snaps, they see what they're going to get from him. Yeah, he was definitely a guy that everybody was talking about. Um, teammates, everyone seemed to be extremely happy with him you know even you know Curtis Signetti was you know bringing him up before asked uh, on Saturday so that's always a good sign for your head coach when uh, he's excited to talk about you even when uh, even when not asked um, I guess one thing that one mystery that didn't quite get solved is a lot of the special team stuff um, where, where they're going to be who's going to replace Ethan Ratke who's going to re- yeah. replace Harry O'Kelly um they didn't really punt didn't in the punt. game. Um, uh, field goals were a little bit of an adventure, and even you know Connor Madden was not Most suited best. up. Yeah. Uh, so any, any indication of kind of where things go with that? Because that's one thing that you know really really didn't get revealed during the spring game at all. Yeah, I know when we talked to Signetti about that a couple weeks ago, he talked about really Justin Ritter's been punting the ball really well, and I mean I know he's been excited about Justin Ritter. You know, a guy that can punt and kick. Seems like he's more going to be in the line to punt. Uh, but then when you look at the place kicking, he had good things to say about both Connor Madden and Camden Wise. Camden Wise, you know, he missed a couple on Saturday. I mean, one of them looked like it went in, but kind of missed just barely. He missed a 46-yarder. So it's going to be really interesting to see. I don't think the kicking up competition really is a lock. I mean, right now at least. I mean, unless he went out there and drilled the 40-yarder, drilled the 46-yarder, then I think we'd have a different conversation a little bit. But I think right now... It's hard to tell. I think we'll find out more closer to the start of the actual season. Yeah, and the one miss was really kind of ugly. Yeah, and but then you know late in the game, uh, I don't know. It was it was from longer than forty, wasn't it? the one he made late? He made a twenty-six yard at the end, like a thirty-eight or was forty. There, yeah, it was, it, was 40. it was around there, and that one looked good. I mean, that was like a you know a nice kick. I mean. I mean, you know, with Ethan Racky, you weren't going to get a leg, but you need once you got into a certain part of the field, mm-hmm. he's going to make them. And yeah. I think at this point, if they can find a kicker that has a leg and can be consistently hitting them, I think that will help in the FBS, especially if you're playing these better defenses, that you're not going to be able to stall in your drive on the 10-yard line and let Ethan Racky try out for a 20-yard field goal. I mean, 25-yard field goal. At this point, you're going to need a guy who can probably consistently hit a 40-yarder because if your drive stalls there, you, you need to be able to convert. Yeah, so that'll definitely be something that... Uh we'll be keeping an eye on when we get into the summer and the fall because yeah like, like we said 
a lot of questions were either answered or they were things that we knew we weren't going to solve yeah. at this point because like okay these guys are hurt we're not going to see much from you know we're not going to see much from the wide receivers because you know they're not really playing out there um yeah you know offensive line similar thing defensive line defensive line for sure yeah um stuff that you know we know a lot about those guys that are missing and kind of know what to expect um yeah no mystery there but yeah the special team stuff you know especially kicking and punting that's something that is going to be a real question mark in the fall and as good as they seem to be on both sides of the ball like it's that's something that can kind of derail things I mean, at the if it's not, level, if you can't, yeah. if you can't flip field position with a punt, or if you can't take put points on the board from your defense, I mean, from your offense, kind of not being able to move the ball down the field past the thirty yard line, I think that's kind of where it gets a little worrisome. I think that could be a thing to watch. I mean, because if you, if you you need to be able to flip the field on the other team with the punt, and then you're gonna have to put points on the board even if your offense can't get down there. Yeah, and you know, really, when we talked about this before, really last year, last season, Jamie was putting points on the board even when the offense wasn't playing well because they just could kind of overwhelm mm-hmm. could overwhelm FB, F, fcs teams with their size and their talent and you know one one bad play for jbu could still be you know a five-yard gain that gets you into field goal territory where you know not only now like you know maybe you're not getting those extra five yards to get you a little bit closer kick also don't have as reliable a kicker to do it like you you could really be seeing a major shift as far as like just how reliable points are for jmu um which i think when you talk about the difference between fcs and fbs football that's maybe an area where we see a lot more of it because you know they've got the size and the talent on the lines they've got the size and experience you know different places they've got proven receivers they've got a quarterback who is you know relatively proven at this level like those little things could be huge compared to where they were yeah Yeah, you just can't leave points on the field against these teams because if you leave three points on the field a couple drives i mean they could it's that could easily be a 10 or 15 point swing just by leaving a couple field goals out there and 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 it's not just like leaving the points it's like you know a yard or two here could mean points yeah. compared to, you know, recent in recent years, like, but like I said, they could screw up and still come out of the drive ahead. And that's not necessarily going to be a situation going forward with, uh, with the uptake in competition and not having an automatic kicker. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Well, Anything else from the spring game that jumped out at you before we wrap things up here? Any any anybody, um, anybody you talked to that kind of uh, yeah stood out? To we we talked to a few people post game. Um, seems like everybody was in pretty good spirits. Yeah, everyone's in good spirits. Thinks like I think Reggie Brown's excited to to get working with Hudson Taylor. Talked about how he thinks they're going to be a special duo, and I mean, you know, if you got a receiver like Reggie Brown saying stuff about quarterback, I think that's not a bad thing to hear. I mean, he's primed to have a pretty decent year at receiver i mean just looking at the ring right now yeah of course you got chris thornton as, as your number one target but reggie moving that way up depth chart probably gonna have a lot of meaningful staff so it's a good thing to hear after the spring game that him talking about that just having a good game there with todd and, and waiting for the fall yeah 
All right, well, we'll go ahead and wrap up this episode of the Purple and Bold podcast. I'm Shane Metlin, here with Noah Fleischman, and thank you for listening.